music. I think tomorrow I'm going to dedicate myself to finding some royalty-free music <clears throat> to add to my collection of musical options um, for the podcast. And um, so, yeah. Also, I wanted to – I had noticed something in the chat room for um, Minion Headquarters over on MeWe, and I wanted to um, – um, I wanted to address it. Um, I'd like to apologize to everybody who was listening to the podcast in um, the archive. Uh, and in the midst of the Hugh Sex Toy doll story, there was an advertisement about a children's doll. Dude, I'm so sorry. <laughs> if you heard that, I'm really sorry. <laughs> but I'm also kind of amused. I don't even know what that is. I don't know what the algorithm is for that. Um, I didn't know that I had placed a commercial spot in the midst of the of the sex doll story. Um, I will. Um, I got. I got nothing. Um, the Royal Navy, apparently. Um, anyways, I was just yeah. It was. It was. It was ad placement gone terribly wrong. Um, anyways. Um, for those of you who don't know who Hugh the Sex Doll is, you can go over to my Dream Wits and um, under the Slice of Life tag, you will find um, out about Hugh the the Sex Doll I got accidentally in the mail, and it was totally an accident. Um, <clears throat> anyways, Amazon sells everything, everything, everything. I still regret sending Hugh back. I should have sent him to a minion, and then he could have gone on an adventure. He could still be doing a world tour if I hadn't sent him back to Amazon. And the real sad part is is that you know when they got him back, they just destroyed him. Terrible. He could have traveled all the way to Australia by now. Poor Hugh. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, tonight we're going to talk about um, being creative um, and what that means to my shit is all fucked up over here. Um, what that means, and um, we we talked about the genesis of an idea earlier in the month, or was it last month? Either it might have been last month, um, and. Uh, we talked. We we do we do a lot of plot drifting on the show, where we develop plots on the fly. And um, Jilly, uh, Jilly had recently got a comment about um, our process, um, and um, you know it. It's kind of hard to explain um, the act of creating to someone who's not creative, and. Um, and I've talked in the past about how um you know that you know writers and artists are born um you're you can be taught um grammar and you can be taught methods and you can be taught how to paint but if you're not creative that can't be taught creativity can't be taught um you can be inspired but you can't be taught uh and so it's um it's it's difficult. To, to articulate that. I'm going to get Julie on the air. Um, I believe this is her number. There are a lot of people who dialed in tonight. Uh, 
Is that you? Hello? Hello? I was muted. Oh, she yeah. was muted. <laughs> <laughs> Why I, I need somebody to mute myself up. when I'm when I'm muted? I couldn't tell you, but I do. <laughs> well, that way you don't get put on the air by surprise. <laughs> mm. Well, I'm in the bathroom or something. <laughs> Recorded for posterity. Anyways, I named the podcast after one of my favorite movies, um, and the movie is called The Englishman Who Went Up the Hill and Down a Mountain, and it's got Hugh Grant in it. <laughs> Hugh. Anyways, um, and uh, it's a great movie, and um, it's uh, there's a lot of themes in the movie about uh, about uh believing in something and um making it true through your belief and also through your hard work <laughs> because <laughs> yeah um they they decided that that their hill was a mountain and they weren't going to take no for an answer so they made their mount they made their hill a mountain um and uh it's it's great you should totally watch it if you if you've never seen it it's it's a great movie Do you really want to end up in the corner? We just got you back into the chat. I mean, you know, you were missing. Got worse than the sheriff. What? 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 I was right. Well, knowing that fandom the way I do, I can't say I'm surprised that. Um, I gotta. I gotta. <laughs> I can't say that I am surprised that they use, you know, I've scrolled past one to me team will fix. Let's just say that was had was tagged with an original dog character in the pairing. Um, well, it's a beautiful dog, an but that's just completely out. Wait, was was the character was the character a dog shifter or a dog? Oh God, boo! Get in the corner. <laughs> I hope you got your corner well supplied. <laughs> um, the thing is, there actually is no no archive warning for bestiality, so um, that's like the honor system there. They're they're um, you're you're counting on somebody's tag for that. <laughs> yeah, anytime anytime I see original dog character tagged in a Teen Wolf fic, I just keep going because we shouldn't need to specify that dogs are in a story. So if the dog is in a story no, in a noteworthy fashion, I'm worried. <laughs> That's like, I don't actually read serious Harry in the Harry Potter fandom, but if I did, and I don't, and I won't, if I did, I think that I would have to tread very carefully. Oh, yes, you would, because, yes, mm-hmm. Because they go there when it's not with Harry. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 I just, I can't. No, 
Nah, dog. No. Do not label animals as... I can't. Shut up. <laughs> I just... Stop. Fandom, stop. I mean, we're not okay. <laughs> if they're going to do it, I would prefer they disclose it. But it's just really disturbing when... Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you run across some really disturbing things that people think that they and when and when they're if anybody if anybody actually confronted them in the comments about not tagging, they usually say something along the lines of "I didn't want to ruin the surprise." Oh, fuck well, you and your surprise! No one needs that kind of surprise. What you wanted to do was traumatize your readers. Mission accomplished. Anyway, <laughs> why? How did we get here? How ten minutes into the podcast, bestiality? How? How? Boo! This is how you chose to come back to us. It's a painful, painful thing. <laughs> When you um, but back to the topic. When um, when I have encountered somebody who uh, and, and my husband is like this. He he uh, doesn't get it where it comes from. He's a very scientific, literal mind. Um, not like her literal, but a different kind of literal. Um, realize that Sirius in his animagus form fucking somebody is not bestiality technically but I think it is pseudo bestiality because the whole point well, is that the person wants to be fucked by a dog that's why they're asking maybe. for it I mean, it depends upon what's going on right I mean it could be two people shifted having sex I don't know I think shifted sex warrants its own warning but I think fandom tends to conflate all kinds of things into bestiality. So it's like someone um, – the only reason I kind of harp on it a little bit is because um, some people who like getting the Beast fandom, reading some grief or not warning for bestiality when Belle got together with him before he was – the curse was broken. And I was like, oh, come on. You know, I that's read not – I. I, I have a I have a thing for Beauty and the Beast fix, um, and, and and the new movie did not dislike that at all, um, because they're both pretty. Uh, anyways, uh, I read a fic where Belle broke with curse by taking a ride, <laughs> <laughs> and the and and the um. And the, the the enchantress comes and she's like, "Why'd you do that?" <laughs> I do what I want, <laughs> basically. <laughs> it was great. 
Yeah, I, have, I am not remotely ashamed of that. I'm not even. I mean, good for her. The thing is, I don't, I mean, it's not one of, it's not a, not my, a fandom of mine, personally, but I wouldn't hesitate to read that pairing, um, regardless of whether it was pre or post curse, because it, there's nothing bestial about, there's, there's no bestiality happening there. He's fully sapient, sentient, sapient being. Um, that's the only reason, and also there's, you know, there's some, there was some grief somebody's getting about, um, um, like a Han and Chewie pairing kind of thing. I was like, Wookiee sex is not the same thing as um, bestiality. So I think, you know, and the same thing with two werewolves fucking when they're shifted. It, it's not bestiality. So it's like fandom likes to conflate things and call things that they aren't. So I just am a little bit particular about the definition of it. Even if I think that a human fucking somebody in a shifted state is kind of edging into pseudo-bestiality, I do think that it's a different kind of warning, like shifted sex or something like that. So I wouldn't want to read it personally, but um, I also wouldn't want it called the wrong thing either because it it takes the humanity away from one character when you do that. I know to Wookie Nookie. I, um, I, Ab, where are you out of the corner? <laughs> See you in the corner. <laughs> well, I've always assumed that Hagrid's conception was, um, was, uh, creature husbandry because the father was a wizard and his mother was a giantess and let's be real having seen a um, a giant in the movie I have to think he would have drowned in that vagina <laughs> <laughs> if it had been a a physical union. <laughs> well, and you know, and there is the infamous, you know, discussion that I don't know why we got into with our mothers about, you know, is Harry having sex with centaur bestiality? Um, which I'm never, <laughs> never living that conversation down. Um, and the answer is no. Is no, it a little fucked not. up? In my opinion, yes. Yeah. No. So, you know, you go get your freak on. Just disclose it, you know. Disclose the freaky things you're doing, but don't call them what they're not, you know. We don't want to take anything away from the Teen Wolf fandom who likes to actually bring real dogs to the story, to the, to the show. So, um, As that's actually a good idea, not that idea in particular, but what if Hagrid's dad took Polyjuice to be a big giant, too? That would solve a lot. That would answer a lot of questions. But the question becomes: Is when you're polyjuice to somebody, is it still your? Since you have to use hair, I think it's in the root DNA. So, if you're ejaculating, is it your DNA or the person's DNA that you're? I think it has to be your own DNA. (sighs) See. 
I can't, I can't, I can't. I have, I have too many, I have too many deeply unfortunate images going through my mind. We got to change the subject. Um. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out what blog talk will put in the middle of that for an advertisement. <laughs> Well, not a doll. <laughs> okay, back to the topic of creativity. Um, and um, basically, uh, you guys have seen us, and you guys have listened to us um, do a lot of plot drifts. And um, sometimes I think that part of our process, because it, it's happening in our head, you guys aren't getting a full picture of, of what's going on, you know, when we're coming up with these ideas. Because we don't often talk through our process. We just throw out a more processed version of our thought. You know, like we don't often tell you how we get to a spot um, that we offer up, right? Um, and, you know, honestly, it feels ugly to say it, but you can't teach somebody to be creative. You can teach somebody to structure their ideas, and you can teach somebody grammar and and syntax and uh, formatting and outlining, but you can't teach somebody to be creative. And so it's that's just my opinion. No, I agree. I do. I. I agree with you completely. I don't think you can teach it, but I do think there are people that I've met who I think were, they didn't appear creative at first, but I think they were intensely creative, but creativity can be stifled and you can stifle your own creativity. Um, Like I, I talk to people sometimes who I feel like they're desperately afraid if they don't, if you know, explore this one idea that they had, that there's never going to be another. And to me, that is almost a way of stifling your own creativity because the more ideas I come up with, the more ideas there are. But if you just stay stuck on one, you're kind of bottlenecking your creative process. Um, but I think that sometimes there's like this fear that if they if they just kind of go, okay, well, not now, I'll, I'll put that idea aside, um, that they won't come up with anything else. And I think you got to kind of work past that fear and that's where you can kind of like, you know, you can work on exercises and get coaching and that kind of thing about trying to kind of like stimulate the creativity that's already there, but that maybe you've been kind of stifling a little bit. Or paused. There was a time, like, um, I had a, a couple of dry years where it wasn't that I had a, a drought going on as far as creativity goes. It was more like... There was so much going on. I, you know, I was working two jobs. Um, I was barely sleeping, and uh, there were lots of stressful things happening. And you know, I was moving from one environment to another. Um, uh, but um, and I, did, I felt like I wasn't. I felt like I lost something, and it, it's really difficult to kind of. Because it wasn't the creativity that was gone. It was the um, initiative to put it down on paper. And I haven't been writing a lot lately because I've been doing editing. 
and something weird is happening in my brain. <laughs> and I mean that sincerely. And I've never done this before. So it's really, I've been doing a lot of editing, and um, I, I got my quantum bang finished completely. All, like both betas, I'm done. 100%. I am ready to post in May. <laughs> June. Oh, June. 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 June, for fuck's sake. Okay. Okay. Um, and I am ready to baby yours, buddy holder. Anyways, because I have not been writing, writing a lot lately. I've been doing some plotting for April. I got all that stuff done. I did some art for um, the prompts. I did a really fantastic prompt for April, the, the first week of April. I'm really proud of it. You guys will see that. And um, uh, the first week of April. Anyways, uh, I have been writing when I'm almost asleep, like my brain. Now, a lot of times I will plot stuff in my head and I will tell myself stories, but I don't actually write, write in my head that way. It's more like I'm telling myself a story. It's, it's a very um, storytelling process. But I am actually writing dialogue in my head when I'm almost asleep and when I'm almost awake. And I've never done that. That's really new to me. And so I don't know. It's actually kind of disconcerting. I often remember the dialogue that I'm writing. I just know I'm doing it. It's like a string of words. It's like like almost asleep and almost awake, just in that twilight, right? And I don't – it's really weird. It is weird to come back to writing you don't really – you don't really recall writing. Um, And it's like you reread it. And um, I um, (laughs) I, um, am – I've written – wrote with a co-writer for a while – and um, I um, I have a really bad habit of writing while drowsy. It's it's sometimes I just really want to I really want to write, and I'll you know. And um, it's very fresh for me when I reread it. It's like oh I don't really remember most of this. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I was looking back through some stuff that we had written, and I was I was with her physically, and I said oh wow this is a, this is an amazing this is an amazing bit of dialogue here. And she gives me a funny look, and she goes, well, I'm glad you think so. And I was like, what? She says, you wrote that? I said, no, I didn't. You did <laughs> She said, no, I really didn't. I watched you write it. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, go me. <laughs> that, was just, that was brilliant. <laughs> I, was like, I really I did didn't... not remember writing that. But it but it was really it – was, it, it was an interesting experience to be – I think I'm complimenting somebody else, and I was just really impressed with how she had done this. And I was like, "Wow!" I usually don't let myself be that impressed with myself. Just so strange. <laughs> but you didn't think it was you. I really didn't. Makes, I thought she'd written it. But what I will say also about these these mental ramblings that I've been doing um, um, is that I the it's more like a character monologue 
and a lot of it's first person, and I haven't written in first person in a very long time, um, not in any serious fashion. Although I have considered it for a nano, um, I just um, for November's nano, uh, depending on what our topic turns out to be. <laughs> well, not the the theme is divergent path, but um, Julie and I have this thing where we're going to take the same idea and write it as we do. <laughs> as we do, yeah. Lady Holder is supposed to is supposed to participate as well. If she finishes off her shit. Yeah, you did. We're, we're, I have yeah, a little podcast. If, 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 if she finishes if you her finish, shit, she's supposed And that's when we were saying we were going to project manage the fuck out of that. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to project manage the fuck out of you is what we were going to do. <laughs> You're going to get all kinds of I'll done. work out. <laughs> We'll be sprinting tomorrow. <laughs> I do have an Excel, Excel spreadsheet. Thank you. Um, anyways, uh, I, I, there's always an Excel spreadsheet for that. And if there's not one, we can make one. So there will be one. That's right. Anyways, we have not picked our topic yet. <laughs> We noodled it. Yeah, it, it, it's it's going to be it's, the the thing is in order to be successful, it has to be something that really resonates strongly with both of us. And I think the ideas we've had so far that resonated well with both of us are not ones we want to write in a public challenge. So right, um, there's that. Because <laughs> not well, I everything. Love to I, the Shuri travels in time. Um, thick, and I actually had some more ideas about it. Uh, but I don't, um, I think I would have a lot of stumbling with that, and I'm just as vain as the next bitch, and I don't want to do that in public. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Some some things, um, not every story that is a good story for me to write is a good story for me to write on Rough Trade. Um, if I, if I'm massively uncomfortable with exposing um, my process as I work through things to people, um, that it's not a good, you know. I'm pretty comfortable. I would about not have wanted my work. to write my quantum bang on RT. I could see that. I um, would not have wanted to write courting Hermione Granger on um, RT either. Yeah. Well, in both cases, in both cases, in different ways, you were trying something a little different for you. And sometimes, when you're doing something that is different, other people's expectations can clutter up your headspace more than you want them to. Um, and yeah. people don't realize even that they're giving you their expectations. And I know that they don't. Um, I will say, like, I regretted writing a Leomoto on on um, Rough Trade because it was people's misunderstanding about what I was doing was really messing with me. Um, Distracting. And normally I don't have that problem. People are usually I'm more amused when people don't are, are completely off in the direction they think a story's going. Um, but Aaliyah was really, because Aaliyah Moda was really like stepping outside of my comfort zone. Um, and um, 
yeah, it just, it, it was, it was, I, I wish I had thought that through. <laughs> so I wish I had not put Revenant on RT. Um, and not yeah. just because people kept asking me where the source material was, like I wasn't creative enough to, to, to have thought of that on my own. Thank you. Um, but also because I feel like I didn't, I didn't spend enough time on it before this thing started. And so what got put on RT was the bones of something much bigger. Um, and it would have kind of been like me trying to write that first rough draft of Lantean Legacy. And if you guys had seen that, you'd have been like, what the hell is this? Because you know what you got. If you saw my rough draft of Lantean Legacy, the no enemy within, Versus what you actually got, you'd be like, what the fuck, Kira? <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> there was no sex in it. It was like 20K shorter. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, there were so many changes. It was unreal, the difference between the two. It was night and day. Um, so I kind of feel like I threw the bones of, of, of Revenant at RT, and that was a mistake. Right, yeah, and Daniel Jackson wasn't even in it, yeah. Well, I think I think one of the things that happens when you have a project you're a little bit more uncertain with or that you really need to spend more time thinking about is that a lot of times when you've done doing it on rough trade, you're pushing yourself to keep working on it even after it started to feel uncomfortable or something doesn't feel right, and then you just feel like you're digging yourself in deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, and I don't know if that's what happened to you, with you with Revenant, but I've been in that situation where I felt like I was just like, like digging a trench. Um, and it's like, no, this isn't working. Um, it's hard. I need to more room for Revenant. And you even do. if I had yeah. not been posting it on online, just having a month to write it wasn't enough. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I, need more room. I don't know. I don't know that the short episode format served that story. And we talked about that already. Yeah, we've already, we've like already talked about that. It, it, it needs to be shocking. a novel. It needs to be about, 150k of novels. <laughs> yeah. You could do you could do you could do maybe connected novellas, but yeah, um, short episodes. Yeah, yeah it was, it's a, it's a difficult. And I would say the um, the same thing about my other um, my other Stargate project that I tripped and fell over in Nano um, was synthetic, and again, I tried to do something with it that was I had. The format was too small for the idea. And sometimes you don't know how big an idea is, even if you're doing the world building. And I did a lot of world building for synthetic. Um, even if you do all that and you do your timelines and you don't really know what you got going on till you get into it. And then you're like, well, shit, this is not what, this fuck. <laughs> this is not working. Well, wasn't... But wasn't wasn't uh, wasn't Revenant the one that you pa- were committed to pantsing? Not Revenant, um, synthetic. Yeah. Wasn't that the one you? Okay. No, Revenant yeah, was my pants. I did my world building, but I didn't plot. Okay, so Revenant was the one you pants. Right. Okay. Can well, I pants some projects? And then I sometimes went back, but you, I couldn't do it. Sometimes you set yourself a, a challenge that winds up biting you in the ass. <laughs> Like maybe I didn't need to challenge myself in that way. Yeah. Um, 
And I think I learned one lesson. Don't set out to pants. I can pants, but there has to be special circumstances involved. Usually well, it has to be organic. Craft of some sort. Yeah. yeah. But it has to be an organic experience, right? Like, you have to sit down and go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to write something. And usually these days with pantsing for me is like I'm trying to work on one thing and I go off and I start working on something else. And I think I'm just going to make a few notes about another project and the next thing I know I'm 15K down the road. I'm like, well, so much for notes. Um, and it's like the yeah. idea is just kind of forming and it's so organically coming to me that I just have to get it out. And that much of it at least is it gets like pants out, then I back up and work on the structure of it. Well, that's how. But small magic kind of started that way. It was a very organic. Yeah, I remember beginning. I remember we were talking about it, and all of a sudden you turn up like the next, like a couple days later, it was like twenty five k or something, and I was like, "It's like yeah, here for um, you guys." Say <laughs> <laughs> what you think. Um, but planning to pants is difficult, especially if you're giving yourself, um. Planning to pants when you have no idea what's going to be, it's like I'm not going to make any choice about what I'm going to write on Saturday until Saturday comes is one thing. But the rough trade is not that spontaneous. You have to pick no. something. You have to pick a fandom and a title. And <laughs> you have to pick but that even, it, you have to get... even in my most seen moment, I'm more of a plotzer than I, <laughs> than I am a pantser. <laughs> yeah, you're still planning in the back of your head. You know, you're planning yeah. a few scenes ahead and yeah. So yeah, planning to pants just it feels a little bit contrived. Um to me. I, I can't speak to anybody else, but I always when I get into it it's like, well this feels really contrived. <laughs> because it's I can't stuff. help that I've exactly. got stuff planned out in my head. But when it comes to being creative, creative, I think one of the things you have to do is figure out where you kind of bottleneck your own creativity and figure out how to loosen that up a little bit. But also, don't put obstacles in your in, in the way of your own creativity. So, like Kira knows that she really shouldn't plan to pants. <laughs> I should never plan to pants. I, that's just a <laughs> dumb idea on my part. Plotting is a strength for for Kira. So. Why would she, you know, sometimes you, it's always good to try other things. Like if you write naturally in first person, it is always a good experience to try writing in third person. I would never encourage anybody to try to write in second person, but if you feel like you want to have that experience, you go for it. Um, but it's always good to try other modes. To see I disagree if, with that advice. It, if you feel like you need to write in second person, see a therapist. <laughs> A good one. If yeah, get you a good one. Um, but if you if you if you know what your strengths are, if if it's the only thing you do, you don't know what's your strengths. Okay, but if you've tried more than one thing and you know where your sweet spot is, this is your lane. Um, working against your your strengths can make for a frustrating writing experience, which can hamper your creativity. Which is why somebody who is a naturally kind of organic pantser trying to force themselves to be a rigid plotter can really stifle their own creativity. Now, you might want to learn to be a little bit more structured, like be a plotzer, you know, where you give yourself at least a beginning, a middle, and end, um, give yourself some structure. But um, trying to, to force yourself to be what isn't natural to you 
is, is another way of stifling your own creativity. Something more offensive than second person is second person erotica. Because I don't need some stranger telling me when to come. <laughs> I'm no, just yeah. putting that out there. The only thing that ever time the only time that the only time that second person and it's not actually true second person, um, is when it's it's actually first person where the 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 main character is like communicating with their partner in the form of letters because that will read like second person but the person they're talking to is not the audience they're talking to right the person the person they're addressing their letters so i've read some stories that might seem on the surface like they're first or second person but it's because they're told in the form of letters to their romantic interest so that's a completely different and that kind of actually doesn't sub- bother me but i don't want to read your, i don't want an author talking to my face i don't don't yeah. break that wall i don't i I don't want to see it. No. Paul's about to get punched in the face. I don't have a no-no. Except for Paul's <laughs> concerned. <laughs> yeah, reader character uh, thing is... Uh, reader as the character is so terrible. So terrible. But most of the so are second person. Most of those are written in second person. So, um, you know, when I scroll past and I read, like, you know, see, see like, the character, the pairing is, like, Tony Genoza reader, I just go, oh, no. <laughs> uh, Amelia Peabody is primarily written in first person with some excerpts in third person from the son's point of view. Um, and she occasionally breaks the fourth wall, uh, more like a Ferris Bueller moment. And usually it's when she's lying to the reader. When she's telling a lie. Yeah, dear reader. It but really Amelia, it's like she's writing a letter to the reader. And it is but she's but she speaks mostly in first person. But um I there's not a damn thing wrong with Amelia Peabody. I I have to say, I mean, Elizabeth Peters, may she rest in peace. Knocked it out of the ballpark every time she sat down to write. I just, she's amazing. Um, was amazing. Um, so, yeah. yeah. The idea was that you were reading um, excerpts from her diary and from her son's um, journals put together in a book format. I guess that actually depends on whether or not you really – well, the question was, is can a wizard or a witch be a giant and a magus? And I think that um, you're butting up against the bias um, that exists in the magical world because um, in, if, if you believe that a, a wizard or a witch could become a giant and a magus, then they could also become a goblin or a house elf. Mm-hmm. 
I, I think that's what dis, what, disrupt, what troubles me is because typically we see anime just forms being some form of either mundane or magical animal, and if somebody's a giant animagus, it reduces giants to being basically magical animals, which I find to be a troubling concept or a symbol. And I just don't think that's <laughs> yeah. I agree. So I, I think I, I I think that I think I, so I don't think it's the same as somebody being a, a dragon animagus at all. Um, so I I think I think it would I think it would raise it would raise questions for me if I saw that. Um, They don't really talk about how much magical, how magical you need to be to be an animagus. It's more about discipline than it is magical power. Otherwise, Peter Pettigrew wouldn't have been, because he wasn't the brightest bulb, and he didn't appear to be the most magical either. He was written as exceedingly average, actually. Um, and a coward. Well, there's a difference between, and this is a, one of Julie's bigger points, there's a difference between sentience and sapience. Sentience uh, implies awareness. Sapience is um, the ability to reason. Um, that's a very broad um, definition. Um but if it's got if it can speak if it can speak I would I would I would be and the thing is you might depending upon you did how you did your magic your world building you could you could have more more species than are be sapient so um, it just it's, it, it all kind of kind of runs into um, how you handle your magical world building. You would just have to be consistent. That said, I think when you have someone taking on their animagus form, which is, you know, into a, a, a species that has the ability of speech, I think you kind of implicitly are raising some questions about that to me. I would, I would, I would probably cringe at that. But Sphinx is an interesting. I, I think Sphinx is written in a way that they, that their language skills are almost more, just for the purpose of riddles as opposed to any actual true um, conversation. But so uh, again, it comes into your. Um, but they do have the ability to speak. So if a wizard or a witch could turn into a parrot, right? Or um, a sphinx who has the physical ability to speak, no matter how the natural species might use that ability. Then the wizard or witch who would be able, well, that's like Harry turning into a snake to a parcel mouth. He's using that form's natural ability to communicate. But all we see in the Sphinx um, is the riddle thing. So you can't really, 
attach that riddle thing to sapience. Right, because and parrots that could be just a, repeat. That could be a spell. What they hear. Right. Whereas a house elf has personality, it fears, desires, um, motivations. And then there's Dobby. <laughs> It's a whole other matter. <laughs> I mean, the thing of the thing is about this is that Harry Potter is really not well fleshed out in the in the traits and attributes. We we infer a lot based upon what we see in the books and in the movies. Um, for instance, dragons don't display a whole lot of higher reasoning. Um, in in any otherwise, they would have known that gold egg was fake, and they right. wouldn't have tried so to protect it. So there's not a lot of evidence that dragons are, are um, very sapient. Um, and whereas there, there is evidence that, that giants are. So, but, <laughs> but the Patronus is a magical spell that doesn't have anything to do with, with animals, sapient, sentient, or otherwise. But in any case, there's a lot you can do with the magical world building in terms of how you're going to flesh out your world. Um, you just have to be, I think you have to be careful to be internally consistent with your own, with what you do in your own world building, and that where you contradict canon, that you, you take the time to explain your contradiction. Um, because, for instance, if you're going to in, in, infer a, a lot of... Um, We'll just use the dragon example. A lot of sapience on dragons. You're going to need to explain the contradiction that canon presents to that. Um, like you could you could write that they're they are highly intelligent and have their own language, but that um, they were under a spell that prov- that made them think those golden eggs were their children, um, which then is a particularly ugly thing. Um, but you know, it's just it's something that you just you just kind of have to work out. What your own, what your own world building is. I, I know in terms, and, and this is one of those cases of where somebody's headcanon can become very deeply entrenched. And my headcanon is that um, an animagus form would never be a sapient species. So, um, question is: is is a phoenix sapient? Um, I think you could go either way with it. There's there's argument for and against it based upon what you see in canon. Mm-hmm. Now, the only thing I think that we really got a real good clear picture of being at least to sapient to a degree were snakes, the very least a basilisk. A basilisk. Well, that snake that Harry talked to in the zoo wanted to go back to Brazil. To Brazil, he knew where it came from. Yeah, yeah, he knew where he came from. He wanted to go back. I knew he wasn't there. Um. To the 
guess the topic really, and this is this all plays into the topic, and part of creativity and part of nurturing your own creativity is um, going over ideas with other people, especially other writers. You want to focus on other writers because they're the ones that will give you um, perspectives, different perspectives on ideas. And um, you you hear that back and forth between me and Jilly and me and Lady Holder. And that one time we were all here together having a very loud discussion, uh, <laughs> which is not recommended. <laughs> Two is good. Three is chaos. <laughs> Five yeah. was, was was terrible. It was great. It was fun. Lo- but it was, lo- it was hard to productive. understand for sure. Um because the thing is, if you ask any group of you, I'm, I'm not saying you can't get any good feedback from readers, but my experience is more often than not is people who are purely readers who don't who will, will just tell you, yeah, that's a good idea. Regardless of what ideas are out there, yeah, that's a good idea. You should write that. Uh, it may not actually be a good idea. So, or worse, um, I was talking to somebody, worse than that is the reader who has an agenda. Yeah, they want you to write the thing. A certain specific thing, and they're going to try to guide you there. Whereas a fellow writer is just going to throw out ideas until something catches. Right, and sometimes the stuff that comes out, it's just, it's it's nonsense. And for for. For writers who are still trying to hone their their abilities in regards to finding the ripples and um, figuring out consequences of actions and stuff, that can be a breeding ground for a hot mess is what it can be. Because you could wind up in something that makes no sense and that you can't figure out how to get yourself out of because you don't even know how you got where where you wound up. It's like you didn't plan to be, you know, planning to move the Wizarding World to Mars, and yet somehow... It seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> the famous last words. <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> that seemed great till I got here. Now that sucks. But um, I do think cultivating... Um, we have gotten a multi-page spec in a fucking PDF. Did you get it too? <laughs> Those are infamous famous last words. Those are infamous last words. Hold my beer and watch this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a thing where I sometimes see it, it is it is a fandom dynamic of kind of that is there's some of it also in in original original works as well, but it's just kind of do what you want however you want blah 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 blah. That I I I would never give anybody that advice just because an idea cross. I mean I have ideas that cross my mind that when I sit down and I work on them I go okay that's not a good idea. I can't build this the way it popped into my head because the ramifications would be this or in order for this thing to have happened these things would have had to have happened before it and none of those things make any sense um so not every idea that crosses 
my brain is a good idea. Not every idea is solid gold. Actually, most of them are not, I promise you. Um, And yet there's this kind of dynamic a lot of times in fandom where it's like this need to validate somebody else's idea. Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. Somebody goes, is this a good idea? And you get this, like, you know, this head nod going on. People go, oh, it's wonderful. You should do that. And I'm sitting there going, that makes absolutely no sense. Why would you do that? Um, and this is, this is, it's a skill that takes time to build, but if you never put any discipline around your ideas on working them out and finding out if they make sense, finding out how to, it's kind of crafting your ideas. You're never going to actually build the skill because you have to fumble with it. You know, like anything else you practice at, you have to fumble with it a few times until you get there. But if the only voices you're getting are the people telling you, yeah, whatever ideas you have are solid gold, you should do it. You need to get to talk to some new people. Now the flip side a lot is of new people. there are, yeah, lots of new people. The flip side is there are people who are too rigid in their thinking. They're really good about consequences, about helping you explore consequences, but they're so rigid in their thinking that they can't let go of, but it doesn't work that way in the real world or, but canon says, or everything is an obstacle because, you know, and when you point out to them, well, I realize it doesn't work that way in the real world, but I'm, I'm writing NCIS and that is the way it worked on the show. So I'm not doing anything that's a, a greater departure from the real world than the entire existence of the show. Um, and they can't, <laughs> they're, they're so grounded in reality that it's very difficult to brainstorm with someone who is that, stuck in the way the real world works. So you kind of got to find that sweet spot where someone helps, you know, helps challenge you a little bit um, and, and kind of rein you in a little bit on your crazier ideas. Cause we all need every single one of us needs somebody to help rein us in on our completely wacky ideas. Cause we all have them. The problem in fandom a lot of times is there's nobody, there is no, no, no voice of reason. Instead, there's like a throng of, yeah, 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 you should do that, you should do that, you should do that. But these four ideas contradict each other. It doesn't matter. Do them all. <laughs> do them all. I'll read all of it. All of it. Every bit of it. I want to read it. And I am that greedy reader, too. I am, deep down. But I also know that that kind of encouragement is not how I get good thick. <laughs> No. That's how I get a bunch of crap to read. I don't want a bunch of crap to read. I want something I want one good thing to read. If I have a choice yes. between reading fifty thousand words of awesome or two hundred thousand words of okay, I'd rather have fifty thousand words of awesome. Absolutely. And the thing is the the, the people who gave into that voice of write all the all the crazy what happens is they finish their story and now that their story is marked as finished and it makes no sense. Okay. That's just an observable fact. I'm not going to comment and tell them that I noped out 10,000 words in because it didn't make any sense. But then what happens is that people who are waiting for a story to be finished, come along and read it. And they are the rude person who will tell you your story makes no sense. And then this person is crushed because They've got all these people telling them how that their story's crap. And 
I have problems with this on many fronts, but the thing is, is it doesn't, it, I, I, I certainly don't think that we should be giving people that kind of feedback that I think that if they don't ask for it and, and it's not done in private, that it's not the place for it. But any, that's a separate issue. Um, but when you write by committee, you're going to get a hot mess. So this is a, actually a little bit of a cautionary tale to the writers, but it's also a cautionary tale to you writers in there who are working with other writers is that you may not be doing people any favors by encouraging them with their bad ideas. Now, I will, There's I will a fine line, there. fine line between being um, forthright and helpful and cruel and demoralizing. Um, and you don't want to break a writer when you're letting them know that they went a little off the rail. <laughs> because if somebody's asking in pu- publicly, like, like, let's say, what, and by public, I don't mean like on AO3. I mean, like, you're in a writer's chat and they say, I'm having a problem with this. What do you guys think of blah, 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 blah. Um, you're not crossing the line to say, well, I wonder about the ripple effect of that or would this make sense down the road? Or you're not, you know, to put put the question back at them and and get them to answer the question, well, what happens when this happens? And sometimes that's the gentlest way to get somebody to think about the ramifications of the decision they're making is put a question back to them. Well, you know. Yeah, questions are always better than statements. Right. Well, that because if you just say that's not going to make any sense, there people are going to get their back up. But if you say, well, you know, well, if you change Harry's circumstances entirely, you know, would he have ever believed Dumbledore in the first place? And ask them the question and make them make them come up with the answer themselves uh, and give them something to think about. That is that is that is kinder to them and to their creative process than to just say oh of course it'd be great go go you should go write that because asking um, that question is inspiring more more talk more conversation bigger ideas smaller ideas mm-hmm. the more questions you ask the more answers they have and the more answers they have the more creative their process will be and that's how you nurture creativity mm-hmm. and some people will go, okay, I don't think this is a very good idea. And that's fine. If they have found that their idea actually doesn't pan out, you've now gently worked with them to help them set aside an idea that may have not have been workable, and they can move on to the next thing. And maybe you can have that discussion too. Well, what else interests you? Your so, well is not going to run dry. No, it won't. As long as you and can more ask you... yourself questions and answer questions other people have for you, your well won't run dry. So don't worry about it. And sometimes the answer to what you're actually going to do or the story you actually want to tell is in the questions other people are asking you. Because your answer is like, no, it won't work for that idea, but wouldn't that be a fascinating thing to explore on its own? And then you're off with a new idea. And it, working out an idea, I know people can get feeling like they've really 
lost something um, when they can't make an idea work. But working out an idea to determine that it's not really something you want to write is such part of the creative process that you're really stimulating your creativity to find the next idea. As opposed it's to really valuable. Months, it is. As opposed it's to saying very valuable the drain to determine that it won't work. Well, why would you, how is that helpful? into a fic and I see a pairing pole, I'm closing it. I don't care how much of a pantry you are. If you go into a story not even knowing you're pairing, I don't want to talk to you. How do you get 15 chapters into a work in progress and not know who your pairing is? You don't even have an idea. It's, no, it's crazy. <laughs> That's just crazy. <laughs> I have been um, through the various different chats. We all of a sudden have a lot more writer chats going on lately than we've ever had before. Um, we have chats, multiple chat channels happening on Discord. I have direct message conversations with people on Discord. I have chats going on with people on Facebook. I have um, group chats on Facebook. I have direct conversations on MeWe, group chats on MeWe. It's like all of a sudden there is went from a relatively narrow focus about chatting to it's like it blew up, right? And one of the things that has happened a bit lately um, is people um, trying to push their idea of what I should be doing or their perception of what I should be doing at at me. Um, and now I'm really usually really confident about what I'm working on. And if I'm running into a problem, I'm usually literally in problem-solving mode. It's not a plotting thing. I don't usually need plot help. Because I'm, I'm like, like I'm, if I'm trying to sort out a structural problem with a story or whatever, and like literally, it's like almost the worst thing someone could tell me. Because I'm actually usually not looking for advice. It's more of like I'm expressing frustration that I'm having a hard time fixing something. But literally, like the worst thing that anybody could tell me, but I do kind of laugh about it, is don't worry about it. Worry about it. No, just let it be whatever it is. I'm like, excuse me. Don't tell a plotter not to worry about it. And don't ever tell somebody who's, who has an obsessive compulsive disorder not to worry about it. That's what we do. I think angry thoughts and I worry. <laughs> That's right. Kira Sometimes at bed. the same time. Yeah, I knew, I knew Kira was asleep, was asleep, was asleep. And I, I sent her a text message that said, I'm sitting over here squawking like an indignant turkey. Um <laughs> Which I have no idea what she thought about that when she woke up. But it was because I, I was trying to work. And the worst part is <laughs> I was wearing my sea cat mask. <laughs> if you but ever I was, wear I was, a sea cat mask, it creates funny kind of vacuum in your mouth. It's very strange. It, it is unexpectedly laughing <laughs> with your sea cat mask on is startling. You get this rush of air coming out of your mouth. It's just very odd. The funny thing is, while I said I've just described myself 
as an indignant turkey. My mother from the other room says, you sound like a wounded chicken. (laughs) I said, that's an indignant turkey, thank you. Like you? (laughs) But... um, I, when I have like especially like a structural problem, I will fix it. You know, I sometimes I fix them. Sometimes I have to give myself a timeout. Well, I will fix it, but um, not worrying about it is never. Or just and the thing is, it it's just leaving it the way it is is definitely not going to happen. Um, Did you see what she put in What? Who? Oh, who? Azure. <laughs> That's going to stick in my head for a long time. <clears throat> Although I, I'm really, I'm really fond of that little song, though, poetry in motion. But now, next time I hear it, I'm going to hear, I'm going to hear poultry in motion. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's it, it's deeply entrenched. You ruined a song for me, as. <laughs> Speaking of ads, what I would say is that some people um, have a unique talent for the absurd, and as is one of those people. Um, and I, what I really appreciate appreciate about as is that she really embraces her um, creative slant and she owns it. And I think it's really important as a writer that you do that. Um, and if you want to write crazy, write crazy. Embrace it. Own it. Yeah. I had to look up Baby Shark. I had never heard Baby Shark, and my niece was talking about Baby Shark, and I was like, what the fuck is Baby Shark? So I looked it up. I have never regretted anything more in my life. And probably over there writing some some heinous limerick about or something. That video of that little girl trying to get Alexa like Baby Shark is is in fact hilarious. That is that is the truth. Um did Az really go to the corner? Oh okay there she is. But no, I mean there are people in fandom who can write some really awesome, entertaining, put your side crack. I wish I could, just to amuse myself sometimes. And so when we talk about um, writing and ripples and uh, one of my favorite pieces of crack in the world is Make-A-Wish. Um, it's in the Harry Potter yeah. fandom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I want a hench girl <laughs> and a flying chip and a zippo. That was the best instant of rocks falling ever. <laughs> ever. Make a wish is amazing. It's amazing. It's a hundred percent crack and it is amazing. Who who the hell did this? Of course she did. Ellie, get in the corner. 
in the corner. It's terrible. It's a terrible thing to see on YouTube. What I, the other crack story in in Harry Potter that really amuses the shit out of me is the one where Harry turns um, pygmy puffs or puffskins into a triple X beast character because he trains them to laugh like little um, little villains, and then he feeds all the Death Eaters this um, potion that makes them laugh, and then he trains the little puffskins to um to attack death eaters and that they all die laughing. Do you know how I finally Mwahaha. read that story? Mwahaha. How? Yeah. Do you know do you know how I finally <laughs> read that story? Cuz I'd heard about it but I kept not reading it. If someone wrote me and they said, "Would it be a little army of psychos or an army of little psychos?" And I was like, I wrote back and I went context. <laughs> <laughs> and they sent me they sent me the link and I was like, Oh, now I gotta read this. And it was very funny, but the answer is it would actually it should have been because it wasn't a little army, but they were little psychos. So it would be an army of little psychos. <laughs> yeah. Because they were little. But, but there were a lot of them. I was, there were a lot of they them. They even there had there a, general. Lot, a lot of them. But I was like I was the so other by that question. Is when Harry turned Voldemort into an Ottoman. The Ottoman, yes, the Ottomort sort of story. Oswald the Ottoman, uh, it it, and Oswald develops a, a a crush on Harry's trunk. Anyway, anyway, the actual trunk. No, that wasn't a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> not the junk in his trunk. Not not that. That's not what we're talking about. Um. And then Hermione tries to kill him, Ottoman, Oswald, and it really upsets Harry. <laughs> Anyways, crack. Now, I, do be- I do better typically in terms of reading. I've read many a story that it's like, it's like, there's like a tag, it's like crack taken seriously, which is sort of like a cracky idea that's put a serious implementation on. Um, and just owning that's that that story as I insist you write it. <laughs> Uh, I don't know that I want her to write that. I, do. I don't know if I, I could survive it. Survive. I don't know if I could survive that. I'm pretty sure the shame basket would come out. And I, I... <laughs> <laughs> In that case, it better be an unashamed basket. Especially about the wand of the unusual girth. Um, it better be an ambitious basket. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter in the ambitious basket. <laughs> that could be a sequel. You're welcome. <laughs> Lady Cauldron. <sighs> when you're drinking and you read Harry Potter and you replace wand with dick or brick or cock, whatever, whatever your preference is. 
I am. It gets terrible real quick. That's like the time I was in college, and my dumbass friend talked us into watching The Grinch That Stole Christmas, and every time the narrator said who, we had to drink. You get Guys, very drunk very quickly. All the who's down in by the time, By the time we got to Cindy Lou Who, <laughs> I couldn't have even told you my name. <laughs> she flicked her prick. Exactly. Flick uh, and push. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, just that, I was sitting there thinking you'd want to be, if you, know, if you need to stay sober, you'd want to read the scenes in potion glass, right? Except that it starts with, you know, Snape talking about there's no foolish dick waving in this class. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Uh. <laughs> just, just imagine the dick, the dick weighing thing in the Goblet of Fire. I can't. I'm sorry, everybody who's listening to this in the archive. I had plans to be very professional this evening. That's a damn lie. But I did plan on at least staying on topic. <laughs> I even put it in the thing, sort of. <laughs> I am not the queen of the euphemism. So if I'm calling something a pace buffer, I mean an actual pace buffer. <laughs> now, if, if if as said pace buffer, we need to like check under someone's skirt because who knows what she's talking about? I can't. Yeah, she actually meant pace buffer. <laughs> I just now saw the troll thing. That's so terrible. And you, you know the most common the most common error message about that? I'm gonna put it in chat. You guys can just deal with this. They did, but you know, Tom Felton talks about the wand bite on some um, some uh, some talk show, and he said that um, you know Harry and I had a wand fight in the bathroom, and then he stopped because that doesn't sound right, did it? <laughs> so even when you don't call it a dick fight, it still sounds terrible. <laughs> oh, Susan, no, oh. She went what? there. Did you see that? So Neville broke his father's dick. <laughs> Actually, I Neville didn't break his wand. Um, uh, who's he was it? Uh, um, I thought Lestrange broke Neville's wand. Neville's dad's wand broke his. Yeah, his dad's wand. Yeah, yeah. that's like that's like getting too real. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ron did break his his wand or his dick. We're we're fine with playing this game with that in that particular instance. Ron taping his dick back together with a hair sticking out of it. <laughs> He's using fellow tape on his dick. I can't. I just, I can't. Okay. This is also the problem with being around a whole bunch of creative people. Is that you feed on each other. So something that might be passively amusing in your brain comes out of your mouth and gets multiplied by 40. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cedric's polished wand. Ollivander was all about it. I'm not sure how I feel about the brother dicks, though. <laughs> <laughs> or the elder dick. Uh, the elder dick is especially. Oh, I can't deal sense. with the elder dick. I can't. I, I can't. I can't. <laughs> Dumbledore counts. <sighs> oh, boo. <laughs> Harry really did break the elder dick. He he really did break the elder dick twice. He broke all the elder dick. (laughs) That'll be book. That'll be book. Book eight. (sighs) Harry Potter and the Elder Dick. I, I. that's a that's a porno waiting to happen. <laughs> that's what that is. That's a porno waiting to happen. We need to move on. <laughs> oh. <laughs> did, you know, that's just the that's just the most epic dick joke ever. <sighs> I just that was. Uh. I've not actually looked up any Harry Potter porno parodies. I um I don't need that kind of head cannon. <laughs> so, yeah. So, what was our topic again? So creativity, creativity. So I did hear. I did. I did talk to like one person recently. They seem to feel bad that they didn't feel like they were creative enough. Um, and I would say that this is where we talk about it's a matter of practice because you can't make somebody be creative, but you do have to practice being creative. Creative because you can let that. Well, sit there. It, it doesn't really run dry, but it kind of gets stagnant. So, um, 
which is where talking to other authors helps. Even if you're not, you know, building your own idea, it can really help spark your own creativity to help work with other people on their ideas. For me, creativity and ideas come in waves, um, which is why I have a lot of work in progress. I'm not one of those people who will force myself to work on a project until it's finished. I make no... um, I find that actually really stifling to try to force myself into one spot. Um, Even during Rough Trade, like when I was writing um, so much on the unspeakable plot, I was also writing on other things. Um, And during last year's Nano, I actually wrote and completed a Nano, even though I failed at my Rough Trade project because it just fell, it just kind of fell to pieces on me. Um, It just wasn't what I wanted it to be. well, you know, I finished it, but I finished it short. I just, I, I, I really not happy with um, um, my last three nano projects. I don't know what the problem is. Um, at least my last three RT projects. But most of the time, every year during nano, I have at least two projects. According to Hermione Granger, during one nano, I'm not sure. I don't remember which one. Um, it depends upon how big my nano project is. If I'm doing 100k plus on one project, it's unusual that I would be actively writing on something else. Um, although sometimes I am, because if I get if I get a bug at my butt about something, I'm not going to try to sit on that impulse. Um, but if I'm writing less than 50k on something, or if I'm writing around 50k on something, odds are I'm working on at least one other project, if not two or three. Um, just settling on. One idea from my quantum bang, I experimented with easily a dozen ideas. And by experimented, I mean I actively wrote on them. I didn't just noodle on the idea. I went to see, you know, how does this, what do I think of this? Because sometimes I don't really know how I feel about an idea until I actually start working on it. Um, Sometimes ideas that really I thought really were capturing my imagination, I start working on them. And sometimes it's a matter of like, wow, this is going to be, I really wanted, and sometimes it's like I like the idea, but I really wanted something that was more contained, and this is going to be, you know, 300K novels, and I just don't want to go there. Or I'm going to go there later. (laughs) Yeah. Some other time. And sometimes an idea pops for something else, or I might use one of these ideas for next year, or sometimes it wasn't just a fandom that was gelling for me. Sometimes I usually am in a lane on like two, maybe three fandoms at a time, and I, I, I'm really firmly in like three fandoms right now from a writing perspective, and it's really hard for me to get um, into another lane. So, so in CIS, is that like, is that like your home fandom in CIS? Well, I would say it's like my home. It's because of the home character, you know. I'm actually becoming less interested in writing in the fandom, which is why so much of my stuff lately has been not even being there. Yeah, I kind of see Stargate as my home fandom, like, like my home room, you know. <laughs> 
Yeah, go to your home. I mean, I can, I can, if I needed to sit down and work on something, I could write something in NCIS without blinking. But I wouldn't have to ponder it. You just sit down. Here's a prompt. Write something NCIS in this. Like, okay, because that's your, yeah, that's the home base. So, um, and the home fandom chain can change over time because certainly it used to be for me, um, X Files for a long time. I mean, I do tend to stay in a fandom as my primary fandom for a really long time. So I was in X-Files, my primary fandom for more than a decade, if not longer. Um, and then I would say it was a Sentinel for a while, but that could have gone on longer if I hadn't just started getting grossed out all the time. Um, and then it was NCIS and I'm writing in other fandoms more than I'm writing in actually in NCIS right now. Um, but I still like taking Tony along for the ride. So, you know, I won't leave him behind. I think that, you know, for me, yeah, Stargate um, Atlantis specifically is my, is is my home room, my home fandom. Um, Although I'm very fond of Harry Potter and I'm enamored with the Hobbit. Um, Hobbit is a Hobbit is a like a commitment for me. It's like I need to, I have to like, because getting in and out of the Hobbit mindset is it's a real chore for me. It's not an easy transition. So it's like if I'm going to go be in that lane, I'm going to want to be in that lane for a while. Whereas I, I like can read you know, Inception. Yeah, I've I've. I've ever, I think I've one, one or two times I got like a little tiny bunny for Inception and then I go, I don't actually want to write in the fandom. I just remind myself of that. It's like I pause and I go, Jilly, you know you don't actually want to write in the fandom, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Moving on. <laughs> well, the thing is, is and this is going to sound, I'm just going to say it. Um, I love the, I, I love Inception. I, I love the fandom. I'm intimidated by the writing. Mm-hmm. I find the writers in Inception to be um, exceptionally talented, and I'm intimidated by them. I'm like, I just, I can't. I'm not, I'm not going to go there. I don't think I fit in. <laughs> They're naming their shit, French stuff. I'm like, what? I have to go look that up. What's that, what does that mean? <laughs> I just, you guys go be extra. I'll just read it. <laughs> because they're all extra as fuck over there. It's great, though. I love Inception. Um, I also like to read in the MCU. Um, I've never read the Magnificent Seven um, ATFAU. I've, I've never read it. I've also never watched the show. So, yeah. Well, it, I I enjoyed the show. I did. I didn't realize there was a fandom when I saw the show, um, and I enjoyed. It. I thought the characters were interesting, but it's an old West show, right? It's a Western, which is not something I would ever choose. And then I discovered when I went to go poke at the fandom one day that it had all of these shared AUs, like a ton of them, and people would create AUs, and other people could just write whatever the hell they wanted in these common AUs. And there's this enormous one, the ATFAU. Um, that is bigger, I think. I'm pretty sure there's more works in the ATFAU than there are in the original Old West fandom. So, um, but I do think that perhaps the remake of The Magnificent Seven might have re-sparked some of the Western fandom there. But, um, 
I love my but, um Yeah. There's, there's there's nothing wrong with that. Um I I I would like to read more in, in the MCU than I do. Um I am so burned out on Pathetic Tony that I mean, I noped out of so many stories, just story after story after story after story where I get into it, and Tony is just so pathetic that I just, like, I can't deal. And, like, a couple of the stories that I really enjoyed, I regretted picking up because they're works in progress. And, um, you know, I always regret that life choice. <laughs> I always regret it. It's like I'm enjoying it. But, you know. Um, it's it's never going to be finished. And what was I thinking? This is why I don't read whips. But yeah, it. I probably this is one of those cases of where it's hard. I'm sure there are more stories in the MCU that would be good fit for me, but it's hard to find them because people do love Pathetic Tony to such a degree that those stories have risen to the top of the proverbial sorts. No matter which way you sort. So. It's just very difficult to find um, good reading material. I, mean, I love Star Trek, Trek but I can't. I have a hard time reading Star Trek because a lot of times um, uh, it they they go out of their way to to just tear Kirk to pieces. And then there was that whole thing where there was that thing where Kirk and Spock were together, and there were like a bunch of these epi- a bunch of these stories where Kirk cheated or Kirk didn't cheat, and he was like assaulted, and Spock considered it cheating and left him, um, and bonded to a telepath. That telepath would not mistake sexual assault for an affair. Yeah, come on. It, it was over and over and over getting the slut shaming. Oh my God, it's worse than the Tony um, beatdowns in MCU. I just, I can't take it. I was like, I'm done. No, I want to write another Star Trek story. I, I, I want to write. Um, I want to start my sequel to um, Tangled, the, the first season of Tangled Destinies. I just don't know where I want to go with it. I don't, I don't know if I want to put them on the ship. Um, if I want to go that far in advance, if I want to put them into the academy, I think one of the things I would like to see as a, as a Star Trek fan would be an academy setting. I would love for them to have made Picard like the commandant of the academy and the Picard series to be at Starfleet Academy, but it's not going to be. It's going to be something else. Um, and so I would really enjoy that. And we've never gotten that. We we've never had that opportunity in Star Trek to to have a TV show set in the academy, you know, with classrooms, and it would just be, I would fucking love it. <laughs> it would be like nine hundred two and zero. I'll just relive my childhood. <laughs> I haven't Speaking read of, the academy era era fix that I enjoyed, um, but that could just be that I haven't read the right ones. They're unfortunate, but I did want to say um, that uh, Luke Perry passed this week, and um, it's very sad. Um, he had a stroke, and he was just 52. For those of you who were 90210 fans, that was he played the character of Dylan on 90210. Um, he was also in a show called Jeremiah on um, cable. Was it Showtime, maybe, or was it HBO? I don't remember, but I really enjoyed Jeremiah. It was a good show. Yeah, it was yeah, very, Jan Michael yeah, Jan. died in February, actually. 
I had no idea he was so troubled until until I read that article. Jeremiah Vincent was Jan- 72. Whereas Luke Perry was only, what, 52? That was yeah. just really... That was just really hard to deal with. So... Yeah, we were not okay on Monday. It was it was a bad Monday. You know, it's a terrible Tuesday. Um, it was, you know, he was so young. Yeah, the drugs don't have an age. So, yeah, he played the father of a character on Riverdale, right? Luke Perry did. So, um, anyways, very sad. Apparently, he played Archie's dad on Riverdale. Um, I don't watch Riverdale. Riverdale is like the Archie and Veronica live action. Or am I mixing that up? Okay, yes. Anyways. that I would like to spend more time in. Um, Star Trek is one of them. Um, the MCU is another. Uh, I'd like to spend some, I'd like to spend a lot more time in The Hobbit as a writer. Um, so, Riverdale is on Netflix. Okay, yes. And um So but no, I don't I haven't really watched any new shows. I I just I'm not I don't have the headspace for it right now. <laughs> yeah, I haven't I'll I haven't been watching any The last new show, the newest show I picked up was Midnight Texas and then they went and canceled it. And so I'm just Super. No, that's not yeah. true. I did watch the Jack Ryan reboot on Amazon. Um, I heard that was pretty dark, though. Pretty dark. A little bit, not as much as I was actually expecting. So, um, but considering the subject matter, that's there's a lot of room there. Uh, yeah, I I've been really in an MCU groove lately, um, which probably has a lot to do with my choice of sequels. For April, um, I ain't mad. <laughs> and um, so, I mean, that's been—I would say the two—the two I've been really into lately have been Teen Wolf and MCU. Um, but I do have an SGA project I really want to finish, and I have a an NCIS, a pure NCIS project I really want to fix, really want to finish. So, um, but the two fandoms outside of like my core fandoms that I've really been into the most lately have been Teen Wolf and, um, and, and, and pretty much I I can't, it's a little bit hard to, it is MCU, but I'm very Tony Stark focused in the MCU. So um, like, even if he's not a central, even if he's not the central character, he's orbiting pretty close to the central character. So it, um, yeah, so, so there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of the franchise I would never touch. Um, 
Let's see. Um, I think definitely on my to-do list this year is probably some more Star Trek, maybe a little bit of MCU. I'm looking forward to this summer because I'm going to write alternate endings for The Terminator and Aliens. Yes, that's a Michael Biehn-themed selection, if you must, <laughs> if you didn't catch it. I I have only picked one, um, which is Chronicles of Riddick. I've picked one of mine, and I am thinking if I don't come up with another one that appeals to me, um, it can't just, for me, I don't want it to just be something I could write an alternate ending to. I think I want something that's going to really capture my interest. Um, but if I don't find one that really captures my interest, then I would rewrite the ending of The Winter Soldier. So that's my that's my backup plan for my second one. I'm going to do my plotting, and um, I have some backup selections as well if I don't end up going in the direction I think I'm going to go. Um, and, of course, my number my runner-up choice would be um, the Battle of the Five Armies, the Hobbit, the Battle of the Five Armies. Um, I would like to rewrite that. <laughs> and um, it needs rewriting. <laughs> the whole thing. <gasps> all of that. Um, anyone else I'd want to rewrite? Um, but that's my only backup choice right now is the Battle of the Five Armies. And so I don't know... Because I'm really, well, I'm really, I'm really interested in writing the, the Terminator. Um, I've already picked my point to my point of divergence to change the ending. Um, oh yeah, mine, mine, me too. But it's literally the ending. It's the last scene. So um, that one. But I, I kind of noodled on this idea a while ago, so it just kind of gave me an off. But it was a shorter idea. And um, so it kind of gave me an opportunity to, I just kind of, like, my brain went right to that. But most of the fandoms I write in outside of MCU are all TV show fandoms. So it it's a little bit of, like, me like, kind of, like, pondering it, like, hmm, hmm. I, I would enjoy seeing a rewrite of the end of Serenity because, oh, yeah, fuck you, Joss. Um, I also wouldn't mind doing a rewrite of the Avengers, the um, the ending of the Avengers. Although it ends well, I think it could end differently and be more interesting. Um, and that's mm-hmm. what I would also say is that you don't have to take something that ended badly and change it. Take something that ended okay and change it to make you happy. <laughs> it doesn't have to, you know. Yeah. It doesn't have to have a terrible ending for you to want to change it. Um, I did pick two that I do think ended um, terribly um, for Michael Bean <laughs> and for us. Thank you, and for us, but but mostly for Michael, um, who was like the original Sean Bean. Um, and so I just um, I want to fix that. Yeah, to know all the that. nice things. I'm trying to think of other movies that um, that would have really um, that would be interesting to to change their ending. Um, 2001. You do some really interesting things with that. Um, 
But I wouldn't want um, to. You could. The could, could. is a very different word. It's very different different than want to. Um, it's really fucking awesome just the way it is. But it will be interesting to see what somebody might want to do with that. Um, the original Stargate movie. Which, if you were a Jack and Daniel shipper, ended terribly. <laughs> of course, in the movie, Jack was married, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. <sighs> um, let's see. I actually just Googled, like, good movies with bad endings. Um Okay. And I agree pretty much about the bad ending part about all of this, but I wouldn't want to write any of these. <laughs> so that okay. doesn't help. Because um, their list of good movies with bad endings is um, AI, Artificial Intelligence from 2001. The Village from 2004, which I agree. I wanted ending. to stab him so hard. I wanted uh-huh. to stab him on my High, high Tension from 2003, which I actually didn't see. Return of the Jedi from 83. And actually, the only thing I hated about Return of the Jedi was that stupid kumbaya, kumbaya ending that it had. Um, Spider-Man 3. Lucy. Uh, the Dark Lucy's Knight Rises. Lucy's ending was terrible. Ugh. Yeah, and so was The Dark Knight Rises. Split from yeah. 2016, which I didn't see because I could tell it was going to freak me the fuck out. Um, I didn't watch it either. Shutter Island. War of the Worlds, the remake from 2005. Yeah. Wolverine from 2013. Yes. Kill back from 2011. Signs from 2002. Yes. And Night Shyamalan, we hate you. Um, The Game from 1997. Titanic from 1997. Again, yes, I really agree that these had some really shitty endings. I don't actually want to write any of those. No, I mean, the only one I would actually want to rewrite probably would be The Village, and that's because I think the monster should have been real. I think that he should have taken a a step back from his own ego and not done the twist and just told Mm -hmm. a really fucked up story. Monster movie, yeah. Yeah. He should have given a genuine monster movie, and it would have been so much better. Yeah, his need to have the twist thing is just... It goes too far. Um, yeah. I'd like to rewrite the English patient and take out two hours. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's not rewriting the ending, though. <laughs> it would. <laughs> it would change the ending. Well, it would change the ending by me writing, and either of the, anyone in this movie had the sense that God gave a gnat, period, the end. <laughs> and they all, a rock fell, and they all died. <laughs> the end. Um, but yeah, I think that The Village would have been a better movie if it had just been a straight-up monster movie. And it had been like a demon living in the woods. That would have been just, like, fucking amazing. Yeah. I agree. The end of Matrix Revolution. This is another different list. Ma- end of Matrix Revolution sucked. I would still wouldn't want to rewrite it. Um, I don't know. I didn't mind too much the ending. I saw it coming. Are you looking at the list from uh, The Best Life? No, CheatSheet.com. Okay. Um, 
people just pretty much usually agree on this stuff, I guess. Ending of the mist is apparently really terrible. And what's worse, that's not how Stephen King ended his 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 story. Um, and he actually enjoyed the movie ending, um, which was terrible. But I think I, I think in order I think I would have to really like a movie to want to um, to really want to to really want to to tweak the end. I like it and probably even like the existing ending. I think I would probably favor that over hating the ending. But you know, except perhaps for the Battle of the Five Armies, that just needs some serious fixing. It's so terrible. Because yeah, there's nothing wrong with the ending of um, no, I would never rewrite. I wouldn't touch Brokeback Mountain with a 10-foot pole. That movie made me too sad. No. Um, Brokeback Mountain was beautiful and terrible at the same time. It was a beautiful tragedy. Um, I wouldn't change a word of it. Yeah, um, but I I had two I want, I had two uh, two two and I don't know which one I'm going to go with, but I liked I liked the way Chronicles of Riddick ended, but I had two other ideas of um, I had two two ideas of different ways that that could have spun out. Um, and I wanted to specific the the one I'm favoring right now is one where um, oh boy Jack lives. Um, that she are that you with me? She was yeah because she was she'd been converted. So um, I decided the idea I'm going to explore is the idea that you know necromongers think that she had met an honorable end. Um, and that it occurs to Vako that maybe Riddick isn't pleased with her death. So he says, did you want us to try to save her? He just kind of questions it. And and Riddick's like, of course I do. <laughs> He's like, well, all right. I mean, we can do that. This is considered a, a timely end for um, a necromonger. But, yeah, we can we can revive her. <laughs> so um, Yeah, do that, bitch. And he's like, yeah, do that. <laughs> Go fix her. <laughs> And bring her over here. <laughs> Fix her back how like she was when you found her. That's what I would like you to do. <laughs> I think that the Avatar movie, um, you know, the live action Fern Gully, um, I would I call it Dance with the Wolves. Oh, well, same difference, right? Um, <laughs> right. I would, I would like to have... I would like Sigourney Weaver character to to have survived. Yes, I would have wanted Grace to live. That really bothered me. I enjoyed the live action Fern Gully. It was it was very entertaining, and very visually impressive. And that whole but you know what I do have an issue, and this is it's a little thing. We've got seven minutes, so we can talk about it. Okay, if they hooked her tail into the flying creature to create a mental bond. 
so they can fly the flying creature. Well, like organic uh, planes. Now, okay, so, uh, but they also hook their tails together to mate. Oh. I try really hard not to think about this. Can we talk about it? <sighs> no, because we have to think about the tail it. Tail is a white tree too. So, um, come on. Clearly, it's not about mating, though. That's what we have to we have to, we have to, we have to compartmentalize. Completely, the tail thing is not strictly about mating. It's a it's a means of communication, and they're a communication heavy world. So they communicate with animals, and they communicate with the trees, and they communicate with each other. And we will not think of that whole tail thing as being sex. No, I we just have to. That is not how you get ants. Ants have an ant wife, and they do freaky ant things to each other, and then you get little ants. I'm pretty sure that is little... exactly how you got ants. <laughs> <sighs> elm, <sighs> elm, ant was born. Skins <laughs> in their fingers. In the original series. Spock was a very indiscriminate mind melder. <laughs> he. <laughs> this is Rock true. This is true. Walls. <laughs> he was. He was kind of slutty. He was a slutty mind melder. That could definitely be how you get a Groot, and it explains so much. Angry tiny trees who can dance. <laughs> he wasn't. He, he wasn't angry till he was a teenager. He was pretty damn angry about the clothes. Remember when he grabbed the guy, and swung him around, and threw him off the back the um yeah the railing. That's true. That's true. They making him wear clothes was, was harsh. Yeah. Yes, the sheriff is married to a tree. A tree. Yeah. Tree shagger. Absolutely. <laughs> and we have come full circle. We're back to the Hobbit. <laughs> but no, you know, honestly, I think that if you look at um, uh, the new Star Trek movies, um, 2009 could have ended, the Star Trek 2009 could have ended better. Um, I would have enjoyed a different ending. Um, um, well, if you want to, if you're going like from a ship focus, you could end, it could end any of them better. Yeah. Especially the middle one really kind of begged for, you know, I would have um, liked an original story. I, I think they went off the rails with bring, bringing Khan in that way. Um, I would have liked to have something different. We didn't need that connection. Yeah, I didn't mind. Um, I just wish I, I didn't mind that they brought Khan in that way, but I wish they'd explored it a little bit differently. Um, because I thought they were trying to explore the kind of ripple effect of the way I interpreted it, of that they would have come across Khan in a different a different way than they had in the original timeline. But I don't think they did a very good job of exploring how 
that change came about. So it felt kind of it felt kind of flat. Yeah. We probably didn't make a list of movies that um, people could choose from because people don't seem to have a lot of ideas about it. I don't either. Hmm. Well, there's, I mean, considering how many of people write in MCU, there's a lot of MCU movies you could rewrite the ending to. Um, oh, yeah, all of them. All of them could use a new ending. <laughs> yeah, they could all use a new ending. And, and you, but you, you, you only Except get two, Black though. Black Panther. Black Panther is perfect. Yeah, leave Black Panther alone. Um, if someone wants to rewrite Ant-Man and take all the ants out, I, I wouldn't say no. <laughs> we need to rewrite all of Iron Man 3. We just need to make that not have happened. We need to erase it. <laughs> that too, boo, that too. See, you have ideas. <laughs> yeah, ideas, you didn't even know it. But, um, yeah, we have plenty of time to think about that uh, because that's not until July. Um, why couldn't he be the ladybug man? I mean, I'm just saying. Why have to be ants? Uh, nobody would, you know, like, if there are enough people who have, you know, like roach phobias, they wouldn't have made a roach man. <sighs> Ant issues. Well, they're terrible. Anyway, we're down to 60 seconds. You guys have an awesome weekend. If you're going to have bad weather, pay attention. Seek shelter when you should. Um, be serious about it if the, if the weather's going to get nasty in your area. Um, say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Thank you.